Production. Recorded live. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is Thursday, September 24th, 2009. Happy fall. Creating balance in our lives can be more readily achieved when there is homeostasis and balance in the brain, allowing for a more joyful, beneficial, rewarding human experience for both children and adults alike. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Please explore more about myself, Evolution Revolution, Voices of Change, all past guests and archives, media articles, services, resources, upcoming events, and much, much more on my website, www. Dot evolution revolution radio dot com or www.dulcineasdivinevision.com. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. Tonight on Evolution Revolution, I am honored to have an appearance from Dr. Robert W. Hill, who founded the Oak Psychological Service in Abington, Virginia. He specializes in health psychology and behavioral medicine. He has been doing clinical work for about 30 years with the last 20 focused on biofeedback and neurofeedback. Hill has also been an adjunct professor in psychology at the college and university level. He has received several awards and distinctions, including an appointment to the Virginia State Board of Behavioral Science, the Virginia Psychological Association Federal Advocacy Award, the Outstanding Alumni Award in Psychology for Virginia Commonwealth University, and the Brian Offmer Award for Significant Contribution to the Field of Neurofeedback. Hill holds a certification in EEG Biofeedback from the Biofeedback Certification Institute of America. He has also held certifications from the National Registry of Neurofeedback Providers, the Neurotherapy Certification Board, and the National Board of Cognitive Behavioral Therapists. He resides in Virginia. And the co-author, Dr. Eduardo Castro, is the medical director of the Mount Rogers Clinic in Troutdale, Virginia, one of the leading alternative and complementary medical clinics in the U.S. He received his medical degree from Dartmouth Medical School and completed his postgraduate training in pathology and psychiatry at Georgetown University Hospitals and the University of Virginia Medical Center, respectively. Dr. Castro has served as the medical director of intensive diagnostic and treatment units in Charlottesville, Virginia, Greensboro, North Carolina, and Indianapolis, Indiana. He has also established the Neuropathy Center in Charlottesville, Virginia, and also resides in Virginia. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with me tonight, Bob. It's an honor to have you here to talk about the power of neurofeedback as an alternative treatment to support the balanced mental health and development of today's children. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Wonderful. So why did you create this well-founded resource, Healing Young Brains, the Neurofeedback Solution, Drug-Free Treatment for Childhood Disorders, including Autism, ADHD, Depression, and Anxiety, and how have you and seen it inspire and influence patients across the globe? Well, the whole book, the first book, um, Getting Rid of Ritalin, actually came about quite by accident. One of the things that kept happening with both Ed and I is that our patients would ask us questions, and we would get the same questions over and over and over about neurofeedback, attention deficit, depression, these kinds of things. And so we started writing up these descriptions, and over the course of a couple of years, we had just reams of paper with this information in it, and um, Hampton Rhodes approached us and said, why don't you put this in book form? And so it really came out about quite by accident. And so we did much the same thing with the latest book, which is Healing Young Brains. Because the first book, you know, it would have been enormous if we'd have put all that information in. So we basically broke it down. Uh, we were more specific with the first book, and, and Healing Young Brains was more general. 
very, very empowering. So in this book, what you offer is a well-rounded glimpse of the information and the value of neurofeedback. So I guess let's start with what is neurofeedback and how is it a quick, non-invasive, and cost-effective approach for people to consider as a possible solution? Well, neurofeedback is a highly specialized form of biofeedback. We've been using biofeedback in traditional medicine for many, many years. And, and biofeedback is simply a process where we're measuring inside the skin events, such as blood pressure, heart rate, um, temperature, these kinds of things. And <clears throat> we feed this information back to the patient so they know exactly what's going on. When you when you go to see your physician and he uses a stethoscope to listen to your heart, he's usually using the simplest form of biofeedback instrument, and he's just listening to your heart. Well, we get increasingly more sophisticated by using temperature and muscle uh, muscle tension and these kinds of things, but neurofeedback has taken this to a whole new level. Basically, what we're doing is we're feeding back information to the patient about what's happening at their central processing unit, the brain. So now by looking at an oscilloscope, you can tell exactly what your brain is doing. And by knowing what the brain is doing, you can begin to change it. When you change the way the brain functions, you change the way you behave. That's powerful. So what would a typical neurofeedback session appear like for an individual in, that we would discuss in healing young brains, or would that vary from uh, patient to patient? Well, all of the sessions are very similar in the way the session is conducted. What is very different is each session, the person may be receiving uh, the, the sensors may be placed at a different spot on the brain or we may be reinforcing or inhibiting um, a different brainwave frequency. So uh, a, a typical session is the person comes in, we do a pre-training uh, interview, we find out how they've been feeling, and then we put them in a nice comfortable recliner in a, in a, a room that has absolutely nothing in it except the neurofeedback equipment. And the, our rooms are soundproofed, and so they are really isolated with their machine. Uh, we place little sensors on their scalp, and these are simply little, they're, they're like tiny little stethoscopes. We use a little electrode paste and just press them against the scalp, and then uh, we, we're reading the EEG, or the electroencephalographic waves. So we're reading the EEG, and we run it back through a computer, and they actually play a video game with their brain. They, they don't have a touchpad or a joystick. They have to play the game with their brain, and as they do, the brain begins to change. Very, very, very amazing. So it's as if by giving the mirror a brain of itself, it rebalances itself? Exactly. Well, it's, if you think of it in terms, to use a metaphor, it would be like weightlifting for the brain. When the person is able to do what we want them to do with the brain, we make the criteria a little harder, and when they can do that, we make it a little harder and a little harder, and so we're really shaping the brain by uh, increasing the difficulty of playing the game. Now, I think it's very important to say something at this point. A neurofeedback game is quite different from your typical video games. Your typical video games will drive the brain deeper into dysfunction. In other words, if you have an attention deficit child and they're playing video games or watching television, the, those video games and the TV drives the brain deeper into the disorder. So not only is it not helping, it's, it's hurting the brain 
to watch TV and play video games if you have a problem. So what creates the initial imbalanced brain to begin with? Is that just um, life experience? Is that genetics? Is it an infusion of several factors? What do you experience with your clients? Well, you, okay. just, you just gave the perfect answer. <laughs> it, it, it is injury, but it can be a huge variety of injuries. It can be a birth injury. It can be a knock or a bump on the head, say from a thrown baseball or falling off of the bed. Or it can be living in a very toxic environment over and over and over, year after year, will cause the brain to retreat into dysfunctional states. And that is how a lot of these disorders that we have uh, mentioned here in Healing Young Brains that we can read about autism, disabilities, depression, bipolar, anxiety are a result of just simply having an imbalanced brain. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, we see the same thing in adults who have had injuries of different kinds. We see it in abused housewives. We see it in abused children. Um, you know, the brain can get knocked around a lot of different ways, both physically and emotionally. So when the brain gets knocked around, um, you're likely to end up with some kind of brain dysfunction. That makes a lot of sense. It's just really creating an imbalance. And what you're proposing in Healing Young Brains using the neurofeedback solution is to consider creating an image with your brain in a video game format as you described for us earlier earlier, and then allowing that to rebalance the brain itself. Is that correct? Yeah, in essence the brain is really rebalancing itself. We're just we're just feeding back the information. And the the amazing thing, I mean the astounding thing about the human brain is it is a self-correcting organism. But Sometimes it can get so far out of alignment, it doesn't know how to correct. And so it, it does what we call park. It just parks itself in a dysfunctional state. Uh, let me see if I can explain that a little better. Um, if you are going to go to sleep, the brain slows down. But if you're going to work a calculus problem, the brainwaves need to speed up so that the brain is more awake and more alert. But what happens is the brain tends to retreat under pressure, under stress, under injury. It retreats down into the lower frequency range, and it just sort of sits there. It gets parked. And so if, you, if a child is trying to do a math problem, they can't speed the brain up to do the math problem. And then often they, they can't go to sleep either because... They can't, the brain won't go low enough to allow them to go to sleep. So a lot of children with depression or ADHD or autism have all kinds of sleep problems. That's a, a, a very understandable connection, and I'm sure a lot of parents and grandparents would appreciate that, that validation that when their child is imbalanced, it's not just going to have one issue. There's going to be a side effect or a domino effect of issues that can arise. And in the book, you do a great job of really going into those disorders. Would you like to briefly offer some of the disorders? You do such a great job in uh, number seven here in the, in the book, just really going through them. Would you like to offer some of the ones that you see commonly and then what you see in relation to them to maybe give some parents awareness of what to look for to see if neurofeedback may be an appropriate uh, treatment for their experience? Okay, well, first, I think it's important to recognize that disorders, <laughs> they, they come in clusters, and you really have cluster symptoms. So we see a number of disorders. For example, we may see depression or anxiety or panic attacks or attention deficit or autism. But with each disorder, you will always find a cluster of other symptoms. For example, you may have depression, but you also have irritability. You have sleep problems. You have uh, anger outburst. You have inability to focus and attend and concentrate and uh, rebellion toward authority. 
So we never see a child or an adult with just this nice, well-defined, single little symptom. Uh, They always come in with just a, a basket full of symptoms. And so the beautiful thing about neurofeedback is if we're working with a child with depression, then we see their their sleep problems begin to disappear. We see their irritability begin to let up. And we see the depression beginning to lift. It's just like with attention deficit. One of the, one of the things that we always see disappear is the tic disorders like Tourette's. We see that begin to disappear. And so <clears throat> I think it's important, you know, parents come in sometimes and they're so confused because their child has been given a diagnosis and yet they have 15 symptoms and and it's just a very confusing process when you label a single diagnosis to it. But, you know, with neurofeedback, we expect this whole large cluster of symptoms. I think that is very validating to parents and and even teachers, uh, you know, in the classroom who can say when they see a child having worked in the school systems, a child who is very capable but really has trouble focusing, often they'll have trouble interacting socially um, in a constructive manner with other children, I've, I've noticed. So it is very validating to see that cluster is present, but not to become discouraged, but to know that with neurofeedback, by rebalancing the brain, it's going to reduce that entire cluster. Is that is that accurate? That is absolutely correct. And and you keep using the term balance, and I think that is the perfect description. When when we are in balance, we can slow down and relax and take it easy. And as the kids say, chill out, or we can go to sleep. Or if we're in balance, we can speed it up to do a uh, a comprehensive intellectual uh, prog- uh, uh, project. So when the brain is in balance, it can move. It is flexible. It's 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 plastic. It's it's all over the place. It's like if you if you tell a child a story, the brain is just firing all over the place. But if it's frozen, if it's stuck. It's not firing all over the place. It's not using its creative talents. That makes sense. It's kind of like um, a car with six cylinders, and if the cylinders aren't firing at the same time, it's hard to get a meaningful, consistent result. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the examples that I always give, uh, a child, for example, with attention deficit or autism or, or one of these others, other dysregulated disorders. In other words, we we call them dysregulation disorders. Well, it's like if you've got this beautiful child, but they're having difficulties. It's it's like buying a brand new car. It's beautiful. It has that new car smell. But if the timing is off, the car will not run appropriately. And that's exactly what we're talking about with the brain is the brain's timing, its frequency timing, its brainwave timing. Very important. So neurofeedback is a truly drug-free solution. I want to really clarify that for parents and teachers and social workers and audience members. Absolutely. Well, now this is interesting. Occasionally we will get children in who are so dysregulated we may have to leave them on their drug for a while. And and we have even placed a few children and adults on something like Ritalin temporarily, you know, for a few weeks to get them to settle down long enough so that they can sit in the chair and focus on, on the game that they're playing. But the difference between our clinic and and, and most places is Anytime we use a drug, it's temporary. And in about 80% of our cases, we are able to take children off of their drugs within a very short period of time because as the brain gets better and better, they don't need the drugs. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting phenomenon that happens. If a child comes in, for example, on a, on a stimulant drug for attention deficit, 
then what really happens is the brain will start getting better, their behavior will get better, their their behavior continues to get better, and then all of a sudden it gets worse. And that used to confound us terribly. We didn't know what was happening. Then we realized that their brain doesn't need that drug, so when you give them that drug, it creates bad behavior. It's the same thing as giving speed to a child who has a normal brain. It makes them very dysfunctional. Wow. You do point out in the chapter on medications, which I thought was a very important point, that it can be, like you've just mentioned, a balance for some cases to allow that initial functioning and relationships and school performance. You you do recommend introducing the medication if needed, but to coincide it with neurofeedback for a long-term resolve versus just continuing to medicate that for uh, endlessly. Oh, we we are constantly monitoring the medication so that we can titrate it down so that they get less and less and less as the brain gets better and better and better, uh, more balanced, more regulated, then we give them less and less and less medication. But I, I will say this, most of the children that we see um, don't necessarily come in with any medication at all because we see an awful lot of parents who are resistant to putting their children on medications. Certainly, and I can understand that. So what are some what are the most popular disorders you see and then what would be the time frame of or just a general or um you know a category of a time frame for instance with autism I know that's a very popular disorder in today's children uh, I almost want to say it's a, uh, on the form of an epidemic and so autism what would be the re- a typical treatment if somebody walks in with them, a, a medium case of autism. Okay, well, um, let me say in general, most cases of of all of the dysregulation disorders start resolving after, oh, I would say six to ten to twelve sessions. We start seeing um, a, a resolution of all of the symptoms. And generally, somewhere around 40 sessions, we are generally through. Um, if, if, you're, if you're being treated with neurofeedback and you don't start seeing symptoms uh, begin to disappear after 10 or 12 sessions, somebody is not doing something quite right. Now, autism, you mentioned that specifically. Autism is a very difficult disorder to treat. And sometimes autism takes a long time because the children are so withdrawn, they are so encapsulated in in their own head that it may take uh, 60 or even 100 sessions. But with autism, as with most of them, we also want to include nutrition. We want to include behavioral programs. Sometimes it's parenting, uh, you know, because parents parents are overwhelmed with with these problems and unfortunately they don't get a lot of help so we try to we try to work with the parents and teach them parenting skills and um it, it it's a package and we want to do everything that we can to enhance the neurofeedback training now i will say that neurofeedback all by itself will work if you don't do anything else but the neurofeedback, it will help uh, remediate the problem. But if you add these other things, then uh, it's, it shortens the length of treatment time. So in answer to your question, generally with most disorders, you know, particularly things like ADHD and depression and anxiety and panic disorder, self-esteem and these kinds of things, we are pretty much through in 30 to 40 sessions. Hello. 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 I I believe we lost you for a quick moment. Oh, okay. So anyway, with 30 to 40 sessions, we're generally through with most disorders. Very, very empowering. And then how long, how long, what would the duration of those 20 to 40 sessions be? Well, we, we do a lot of research and we try to follow research protocols. So 
I wish I could say to you that there is a permanent cure. However, we don't have research data to substantiate that. What I can say is that neurofeedback seems to neurofeedback holds for about 17 years. You see, we have 17 years worth of data, but we don't have data that goes beyond 17 years, so I can't say it's a lifetime cure. But if a child comes in with a, a severe problem and we can help them for 17 years uh, and counting, that's pretty good results. I'd say it's astounding. (laughs) (laughs) So you just mentioned um, the scientific backing. So what is the scientific evidence that exists today that suggests neurofeedback is effective? Well, there is, uh, Al Byers wrote a book and he compiled the the neuroscience research on neurofeedback. And it is a, it's about a 400-page book crammed full of research about neurofeedback. So um, neuro, most of our research has been replicated over and over and over. For example, a little-known fact is we use neurofeedback very successfully to treat drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And uh, what we find is, with that research is that after a year, one year after treatment, 80% of people are clean and sober. One year after treatment, which is pretty remarkable. That is very remarkable considering some people, would, if they had not had treatment, would never experience that uh, sober experience. And, and by the way, this research was conducted in, in VA hospitals with people who had multiple, multiple uh, years of, of, of addiction and multiple years of treatment, but with neurofeedback, one year later, clean and sober, 80%. Very profound figure. We are speaking with author Robert Hill, co-author of Healing Young Brains, the Neurofeedback Solution, Drug-Free Treatment for Childhood Disorders, including Autism, ADHD, Depression, and Anxiety, You can find out more information on the web at www.hrpub.com. You can also find out more information on the www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com link. So why would individuals or mainstream um, oppose or not promote as readily neurofeedback? Well, that that is an excellent question, and we've, We've been asking that question for 25 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> but first place, neurofeedback is not patentable. So any organization that is interested in patenting something is not particularly interested in neurofeedback. Um, you know, there, there just is not as much money in something that you can't get a patent on. And so that's one of the reasons. Secondly, um, it, it probably takes somewhere in the vicinity of a half a million to a million dollars to do to do research to back up these kinds of things. And, and if people cannot get a patent, they're not anxious to do the research. So most of the research that is done is done by individual clinics and by organizations, uh, neurofeedback organizations like... Um, the International Society for Neuronal Research. Uh, so, and, and we do have our own journals, and it's it's like any new science. Even though we're 25 years old, it's still considered a new science. And so, it's it takes a while for it to be accepted. I will say that most of its acceptance comes from patients as opposed to doctors. People who actually have the first-hand experience and gain benefits from it. That's right. We never advertised one penny because, we, first place, we don't believe in doing it that way. And yet we had practices, and sometimes we would have um, six and eight weeks waiting period for people, and it all came about through word of mouth. 
And in my opinion, that speaks really highly of neurofeedback because it generates anybody that hears about it talks about it. An interesting thing about neurofeedback, I know neurofeedback providers literally all over the world, and I do not know a neurofeedback provider who doesn't do neurofeedback on themselves or on their families. That says a lot. That says a lot. <laughs> it certainly does. It certainly does because we, we trust it. We use it on our own children, on our, on our wives, our husbands, you know, cousins, mothers, parents, whatever. And, and when when you when you do that, it says not only about our belief in what it does, but also in the safety of it. And that that does speak volumes, most certainly. So, with neurofeedback, is there a is it possible to create an imbalance, or is the brain just naturally just going to passively not receive what's not needed, much like nutrition? That. That is a wonderful question, and we get that all the time. Can you do real harm with neurofeedback? Well, neurofeedback is really self-correcting. Now, I will say that I have had many bad sessions over the course of 20 years. And when I I say a bad session, I may make somebody a little more nervous, or I may give them a headache, or I may make them feel sleepy. Well, it's it's self-correcting. When you say, I have a headache, immediately it tells me to change the protocol. Plus the fact, neurofeedback isn't powerful enough, unfortunately, to make these remarkable changes overnight. This is why it takes several weeks to bring about the changes that we want, because what happens, we're pushing the brain in a direction that we want it to go. Well, the brain then kind of pushes back because it's reluctant to change. So we push again and it pushes back. We push again and it pushes back. But if we gave somebody a headache every time we treated them, they wouldn't come back. So it is self-correcting. And we know immediately, when, when you leave a neurofeedback session, you should feel good. You should feel relaxed and comfortable or uplifted and so it, we we know immediately whether we're doing what we wanted to do. And I think that that's a very valid point. And I think that anything that has sustainable results is a process. It, it is a process. And I think sometimes, you know, unlike unlike an antibiotic, you start taking an antibiotic, and if in a day or so you're not getting the results, um you know, you you change antibiotics. With neurofeedback, we see lots of, we're tracking lots of different symptoms, and we begin to see first one symptom begin to disappear, then two or three symptoms begin to disappear, and it it is a process, and it's a process over weeks. For example, that 40 sessions that I mentioned, we generally will see the person twice a week for 20 weeks or 30, you know, if it's 30 sessions, twice a week for 15 weeks. And over the course of that uh, 10 or 15 or 20 weeks, we're noticing symptoms disappear almost on a weekly basis. And so it's, it's a process of allowing the brain to be trained and then let it relax, then train it and let it relax. And it, and it grows in to a new homeostatic point. So it goes in, it it grows into a new balance. Very, very rewarding. That's so exciting. And and then the side effect that are, the consequences to that that are so positive are there's a reduction in that cluster of symptoms that can be, uh, you know, formally identified as autism or depression or bipolar or anxiety or attachment disorders and, and on and on and on and on. Well, I think one of the most interesting things that we see is it changes personality. And and this was completely unexpected to, to us when we started. I mean, I, I've been doing neurofeedback since it was really established. Um, and and we never expected it to to see personality changes. But if you take a person who is depressed 
and lethargic and they have trouble concentrating and they don't feel good and they're irritable when you begin when this begins to lift you actually see personality changes people are brighter they're more cooperative uh, they're more helpful they're more engaging so we see some wonderful personality changes as we treat specific emotional and mental disorders I think that is so beautiful. Has has any have any studies been done? I'm not. I don't recall reading about this in the book, um, Healing Young Brains. But in in your plethora of information, have studies been done with children who are abused, um, like in in group homes or, or or orphans or the foster care system or anything of that nature? Well, I know uh, I know several providers who actually go into uh, into homes and treat the children, but to date, I don't know of a specific research project that has been done. But that's a wonderful suggestion, and I'm going to mention it to a few people because that would be that would be an excellent um, ground for yes. yes, you know, for doing that in. Yes, that's why I see that as well. And I, I myself was adopted um, very privately, but I have a definite deep passion for working with youth and. And reaching out to the abuse and the fosters and foster care system and orphans, so I think that would be uh, very beneficial to see, and and then also to use a lot of data at once, right? <laughs> oh, well, well, not a, you know, in the beauty the beauty of that kind of situation is that you you have a number of people who have similar situations, and so it makes for good research because they they come from such a similar background and you can see similarities in changes as well as in the point where they started. Very, very profound. So with the research aspect, are you doing dependent measures, which which would mean you take the initial measurement when the patient comes in the first time and then you do the measurement probably each session to then actually get a numerical value of the changes? Yes. All, we... we we do a thorough examination. We they complete a huge checklist of all the symptoms and the severity of each symptom, and this is monitored over time. And uh, as a general rule, what we want to do we're we're not measuring the results each time, but we are doing a debriefing each time and checking it against a symptom checklist to see if there were different changes because the changes will tell us when we need to move the sensors from one spot on the head to another spot on the head or if we need to increase or decrease the um, brainwave activity that we are either uh, trying to increase or trying to decrease. So in answer to your question, we take huge measurements. We do psychological testing both pre and post, and occasionally we we will do a, an evaluation like every ten sessions. So there's a we collect an, a lot of research data. Very very powerful to build upon. That's important. Mm-hmm. Well, if if you don't do that, then you're kind of guessing. And we you know the beautiful thing about what we do is in so many research projects. They will say, well, how did you feel before, or how do you feel now, and then after treatment they say, how do you feel? Well, that is such a subjective measure, and what we're getting is we are getting actual EEG measurements. In other words, we are measuring what the brainwaves are doing, and the brainwaves don't lie, and the, <laughs> and the, and the brainwaves are, are not going to give us an emotional response. If you are making, for example... 15 microvolts of a particular brainwave, and at the end of training, you are now making 5 microvolts of that same brainwave, then we know we have changed the way the brain is firing. Profound. It's it's black or white, right? <laughs> Very clear. <laughs> well, for a psychologist and a psychiatrist, you know, we are so used to, and how does that make you feel, madam? You know, and they give us an answer. But with this, we are actually looking at numbers. We are looking at 
the the amplitudes of the brain waves and the frequency of the brain waves and so we're measuring these things not only pre and post but we're measuring them every single training session so we get a, an enormous amount of data to to look at and to work with and that's just very reassuring coming I'm not personally a parent but a parent who's bringing their child to you or even for themselves I think it's important to know that you're really looking at a wide spectrum of their whole whole well-being. Um, you're taking the physical, physiological measurements. You're looking at some of the mental checklists and some of the emotional experiences. So you're looking at the whole being, yet treating a physiological element. It's like a whole package treatment. That's, uh, that's an excellent description. And one of the things that we do, by the way, is in the debriefing, we show parents the figures, or we show the spouse, or we certainly show the patient. When we're working with six- and seven-year-olds, we're saying, okay, your brain is making seven microvolts of this brainwave, and this is not a brainwave we want to make. So they'll come in, even seven- and eight-year-olds will come in and say, you know, uh, what did my theta measure today? You know, how how high was my theta? And because we really teach people what we're doing so that they can they can help with the process. They want to know what their figures are. They want to know if the, if it's improving. And so uh, we will frequently hand them the printout and say, tell me what happened, and they can tell us exactly what their brain did. How empowering. That is so validating. And, of course, these little minds are so sharp. We underestimate that. So they can really feel empowered with helping themselves become more balanced. Oh, they are—they are really wonderful to work with because, in the first place, they are so bright that you know they are absorbing this stuff so much faster than the uh, adults that we work with. And you know, we'll we'll go out in the waiting room and they'll be discussing their their brainwave amplitudes with each other. <laughs> That's wonderful. Very, very good. So. We are speaking with author Robert W. Hill. He's co-authored Healing Young Brains, the Neurofeedback Solution, Drug-Free Treatment for Childhood Disorders, including Autism, ADHD, Depression, and Anxiety. You can find out more information at www.hrpub.com or www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. So in the book, you offer some important um, information regarding nutrition and toxicity. And I think those are some important elements. I know particularly toxicity is highly related or correlated with autism. Well, it, it, well toxicity is heavily related to almost all disorders. The, for example, in our environment, I recently read a research paper that said in our environment, right now there are 105 synthetic chemicals used in our environment. 90% of them have never been checked for to find out if they are carcinogens. And it is growing at the rate of 5,000 new synthetics a year. And we have no idea what these things do to the brain, the liver, the kidneys, the heart, because, I mean, it's a pillow or it's a pencil or it's a, it's a sofa covering. And we just have no idea what some of these things are doing to our system. So given the proliferation of the synthetics in our environment, plus the fact, you know, we've got lead and and cadmium and everything else floating in the air, uh, the brain is under assault as well as the rest of the body. So one of the things that we work with parents to do is to detoxify their children. Get them, you know, get them away from snack foods and away from junk foods and away from uh, doing, you know, involving themselves in activity where there are a lot of toxins. And this is not essential to make neurofeedback work, but it certainly improves the the outcome of the neurofeedback training a lot faster. So we're very concerned about toxins in the environment. 
Yes, I think that is important. And even in India, you offer several appendices in the book, but one of them even includes the laboratory testing for heavy metals, and you include that information so people can feel empowered that they can determine what is in their environment um, if that's recommended by you or another um, neurofeedback provider. Well, Ed, uh, Ed Castro's number and information is in the book, and he is wonderfully knowledgeable about uh, all kinds of, of toxicity and how to get rid of it. So, and and he welcomes calls, and uh, he uh, Ed is an unusual physician. He'll take the phone call himself, and he'll talk to you as long as you need to talk to him. Very amazing. And, you know, I'd like to let people know they can find um, Ed on the web. He has a website that is Mount, let's see here, I have that here. You know I'll get that to you in just a few moments here where you can uh, find out more information. But that information is included in the book, Healing Young Brains. And it also, you also um, go into some nutritional recommendations in the appendices, some food additives. And I think let's talk about MSG and other food additives. What is the importance of being aware of that for uh, uh, the well-being of children and adults? Well, to begin with, let me say that MSG has been proven to produce irreversible brain damage in, in uh, laboratory animals such as primates. And genetically, we're very close to primates. So all of these additives, whether it's a food dye or a preservative, these things, a single additive may not have a profound effect on us. But over time, there's a cumulative quality about all of these additives and preservatives and toxins in our environment. So what we're really concerned with is what happens to the human body and the human brain over time if it gets this continual exposure to things that we know that are not good for it. Yes, that's, it's, it's almost like um, a real readily apparent example is if we eat Twinkies every day, we're going to gain a few pounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always said, you know, unfortunately, toxicity is not like a hand grenade. You know, it's, it, it, it's not going to explode in your face. What happens is you keep getting exposed to these toxins over a lifetime, and, and the next thing you know, you're dealing with a very serious disorder, and it's too late. So we, we have to view this as long-term death processes, that we're killing ourselves with lousy food, food filled with chemicals and additives, and our environment is very polluted. Now... We all live in it. I live in it. You live in it. And so we're all going to absorb some. But we have to be as careful as we possibly can, and particularly with our children, because their brains are young and their brains are just now forming, and they're so receptive to everything in the environment. So we have to be, we have to be really careful, you know, if, if we're serious about taking care of our children. And I think that you did a great job in the book. Um, there was some avoidance lists to consider avoiding as much as possible. And you mentioned bleached bromated flour products, yes. uh, unfiltered tap water, which I think is really important. I know a lot of us think we do filter our tap water, but do we change our filters enough and all the details? So I think that's important. And also plastic water bottles with certain recycling symbols. That's right. Well, one of the things that we tried to do in the book is we try to give you ways of finding a neurofeedback provider, ways of uh, of feeding your child, you know, your children correctly, ways of avoiding toxicity, ways of getting rid of toxicity. So in the appendix particularly, we tried to give as much concrete information as we could. Obviously, you and I could talk for weeks and, and not begin to cover everything that's there. So, you know, we, we tried to, to, to condense as much information as we could and put it in the appendices. Yes, it's a very empowering appendices, I might add, and it's A through G, so there's a plethora of information. And, you know, let's talk about finding a provider. 
um, you do give some information. So why don't you start with what, what's the first few steps to finding a provider, and then what are the most important elements um, that you would recommend in making the final decision? Well, not all providers are created equal. <laughs> Let me say that to begin with. And it's just like not all masons or not all uh, uh, painters are equally qualified. So you want to make sure first that any provider you go to is licensed in their particular field, whether it's a social worker or a neurologist or psychologist, you want to make sure that they are licensed in their state in their particular field. That is the single most important thing because the, a, a licensed person is governed by the state licensure laws and by their local boards, and so they have to be, they have to follow certain legal and ethical standards. The second thing you want to know is. Are they well-trained? Where did they get their training? How long was the training course? How long have they been doing it? Now, it is okay to go to a new provider, but make sure that new provider is being supervised. You, you don't want to go to a surgeon who just graduated and just, <laughs> just got his surgery license. You want somebody who is being monitored and supervised. So, Make sure, number one, that they are licensed in their particular field. Secondly, make sure that they have good, uh, good training. And one of the things that I like to see is there is an actual certification in neurofeedback. And they can get that through the Biofeedback Certification Institute of America. They, they have, you know, they, they require certain courses, certain information, certain training, certain level of experience in order to get that certification. So just ask a few questions. And by the way, if people call me and ask me, uh, you know, I can direct them. I, I take calls literally from all over the world. And, you know, and I try to direct people to get them to a good provider or answer questions about certification or training. And, and I'd also like to mention in the book, um, in Appendix A, finding a, finding a provider in your area, you do offer some websites for um, the EEG Institute, the EEG Spectrum International. You also, um, Brian Osmer Foundation, the International Society for Neurofeedback and Research. Um, you also go for the Biofeedback Certification Institute of America, as you had mentioned, which is www.bcia.org. And you also um, offer just so exactly we've outlined what we've just briefly discussed, but in much further detail. So that is important for parents to know and recognize. And I think you, you made a really important point, not only from the end of receiving this, but also as people who are seeking to offer services as yourself. Neurofeedback can be given, uh, or uh, providers of neurofeedback do not have to be a medical doctor. They can be a psychologist, they can be a nurse, they can be a medical doctor. So it, there is an array of providers, and aligning with um, the provider that's most suitable for you and your child is, is a good um, consideration. Absolutely. And there are a lot of people who really specialize in things. There are providers who specialize in autism or specialize in bipolar. So it, it's sometimes helpful to find out if a person specializes. Uh, Ed does a lot of autism work, and I had more of a general practice. I saw from one end of the spectrum to the other. Very, very good. Well, I'd like to give people the website for Dr. Eduardo Castro, who's not on the call with us this hour, but who is the co-author of Healing Young Brains with um, Bob Hill. And you can find Dr. Eduardo Castro on the web at www.mtrogersclinic.com. So that's M-T. Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S-C-L-I-N-I-C.com. And of course, you can find out more information about Dr. Castro and Dr. Hill um, in their book, Healing Young Brains, The Neurofeedback Solution, Drug-Free Treatment for Childhood Disorders, Including Autism, ADHD, Depression, and Anxiety. You can find more information on www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com and link up with either one of these gentlemen. And of course, you can purchase the book on Amazon.com. 
So what are three important signs for a parent, caretaker, or a teacher that a child may be an ideal candidate for neurofeedback? Well, first, I think what you, you have to assess is, is the child behaving at an age-appropriate level? In other words, are they too immature or are they a little too sophisticated? So are they functioning at an age-appropriate level? Secondly, can they attend, concentrate, follow directions, and stay on track with you? And the other thing is, what is their mood like? Are they sulky and depressed or angry or upset all the time? So you, you want to look at their, at their age appropriateness. You want to look at their intellectual level. Are they able to follow you intellectually? And are they emotionally stable? Are they emotionally appropriate? Do they give you the right emotions for the right situation? So those are three really important areas to observe. Very profound. Thank you for that. Creating balance within creates balance around, leading to a more rewarding, sustainable experience for all. Acknowledging the imbalance is the first step to finding the unique solution to recreate a most desirable balance for both children and adults. Alternative possibilities exist to support this healing process, such as neurofeedback, and are readily available. So begin today to embrace the supportive options for you and your children and for all of humanity. Coming up next week, actually, excuse me, coming up on October 8th, Marsh Engel will be joining us. And on coming up on October 15th, we'll be speaking with Noah Ben Shea. Coming up on October 22nd, we'll be speaking with Paul Rademacher and his release, The Spiritual Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, Travel Tips for the Spiritually Perplexed. And on October 29th, we'll be speaking with Larry Lachan about his latest book, The New Science of the Paranormal, The Promise of Psychical Research. On November 5th, Carolyn Sutherland will be joining us. And on November 12th, Barbara Hanklau will be making an appearance once again on the opening of Night 6 with her latest insights into the current paradigm shift of consciousness. Coming up on December 31st, we'll be speaking with Richard Lawrence for a two-hour New Year's special with his teachings of the 12 Blessings and his co-authored book and CD, Realize Your Inner Potential. Please join us for a New Year's Eve bang this 2010. You can purchase all of the author's books featured on Evolution Revolution at www.amazon.com or link up to their individual websites through the Evolution Revolution homepage at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. Please join me in the upcoming weeks for some exciting guests and uplifting inspiration, which can be further explored under the upcoming guest section on the homepage. Additionally, all Evolution Revolution archive shows are available under the 2007-2008-2009 tabs within the website, and in iTunes by searching Dulcinea for Evolution Revolution and Dulcinea 333 for Voices of Change. Evolution Revolution includes amazing talent such as Pamela Brooks, Sharon Jeffers, Michael Tamora, Dr. Stephen Farmer, Barbara Hanklau, Dr. Amit Goswami, Neil Donald Walsh, Eliza Matadalian, Robert Friedman, Jana Hollingsworth, Dr. Laurel Clark, Richard Blackstone, Betty Young, and more. Please share Evolution Revolution Radio with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. You can align with myself and Evolution Revolution on Facebook by searching Dulcinea333 and be sure to become a fan of Evolution Revolution Radio for special offers and free books. I offer a vast array of services that can be found on the website under the Services and Events page including client testimonials and a wealth of information and opportunities to align. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Also, please be sure to explore the new audio feature, Voices of Change, that offers a unique expression of divine talent and wisdom that has the potential to expand, enlighten, and catalyze universal consciousness and to be ever-present, abundant, and infinite and limitless realms. 
Please be sure to explore the exciting audio features that are ready for listening, including Dennis Lewis, Lorraine Rowe, Dreaming Bear, Joylena Goodings, Marla Martinson, and more. Co-create with Evolution Revolution. We are seeking partners to help Evolution Revolution evolve and expand to even more people across the globe. If you are interested in partnering and supporting the rapid development of Evolution Revolution, please explore more under the Evolution Revolution tab on the website. I look forward to hearing from you about the infinite possibilities to co-create in the highest light and with the grandest intentions. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening with my honored guest, Dr. Robert Hill. Thank you, Robert, for your time and expertise. We truly appreciate your wisdom. Well, it's been fun, and I applaud the work you do. Thank you kindly. And please keep um, keep in touch with us and let us know how this evolves. We have a lot, a lot of parents, teachers, and uh, caretakers who reach out for this information, so we should link up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, much much gratitude to you for listening and supporting the revolutionary independent production of Evolution Revolution Radio. I wish each of you an abundance of heavenly love, including peace, awareness, joy, and gratitude today and always. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Abundant miracles. Good night. Good night. <laughs>